Hey guys, how you doing? Surviving the heat? Got, got some AC in your life somewhere? Hey, I'm going to pray real quick and we're going to jump in. Father, we praise you and worship you. You are an all-consuming fire and you ignite our hearts and call us to be burning and shining lamps. And so I ask that you would give great grace and uh, help in the preaching of this word. God, whatever you have to, to speak to each one of us, God, give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying. May you be glorified when we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, yeah, Jeremy mentioned uh, that uh, I've been leading these outreaches on Wednesdays right after our prayer and worship time. That's a great combo. Um, this title, uh, I'll tell you a little bit about it in a sec, but um, burning and shining lamps. Uh, that's something that Jesus described uh, John the Baptist, as he, he said, he was a burning and a shining lamp. And so when I think about burning, uh, I, I think about what's going on on the inside. It's, it's the internal dialogue with the Lord. It's our prayer life. It's our fasting discipline. It's our worship, our heart of worship. It's our consecration. It's our surrender. It's all those things that go on between us and the Lord, and we burn uh, when we uh, seek him inwardly, when no one's watching. And then we shine, and, and I think of that as uh, how we impact others. And I'm going to unpack why I believe that shining means that in, in other scriptures. But this week, I, was, I had the privilege last week to serve as a volunteer at the Light of the World Prayer Center uh, vacation Bible school called The Encounter. And so kiddos from 4 to 14 came out, I think there was something like 82 kids that showed up the first day, and there were four churches involved, and it was just a blast. It, it was really hot sometimes, um, but one of the things that they did was uh, train the kids in what it looks like to hear God's voice, and they gave them a, a passion for, um, for meditating on his word. We, di we dove into Psalm 34, but during one of the prayer practice times, we were um, trying to be quiet before the Lord, and that's a challenge for little kids to be silent and not wiggle, right? I had the older kids, so it wasn't so bad, but we had some kids that were a little too cool for school that like to maybe struggle with that moment. But um, one of those sessions, I was like, Jesus, I'm preaching on Sunday. What do you want me to preach about? And so in my mind's eye, I saw a lamp just like that. And then it sent me on a meditation about Jesus being our lamp and us called to be burning and shining lamps. And I'll share how that was confirmed a little later in, our, um, in that listening session. But um, here we go. So that was Jesus' testimony about John. Um, there was an angel that showed up to John's dad when he was going into the temple as a priest and he was a little bit uh, shocked by this angel, as, as you should be. And the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or fermented other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. I love that scene where uh, Mary and Elizabeth are hanging out, and it says that John leapt for joy in, in Elizabeth's womb when he could tell he was in proximity to his Lord and Savior. 
the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so uh, John had an appetite for the presence of Jesus from the get-go. And then it says, uh, he will bring back many people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the power and the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, I want to say a couple things about that. Um, I keep looking over there because my iPad won't show me this verse for some reason right now. But um, uh, So he had this thing where he didn't take wine. Now, there's nothing sinful about having a little wine here and there. Uh, Obviously, drunkenness is another story. But John was called to a set-apart life. Uh, He was one of, um, there, there are a handful of these guys in the scripture called the Nazarites. And they were ones that God used when the nation was going astray and things were really dark. He set apart his radical ones that who denied themselves the legitimate pleasures of life in order to experience the superior pleasures of knowing God's presence and his voice and his love in a unique and dynamic way that would impact their generation. And so uh, Samson was a guy that was a Nazarite. Uh, who else? Uh, he walked in the power of God, and he kind of screwed up near the end of his life. But that, that fasting lifestyle set him up to be um, an anointed deliverer for Israel. Uh, Samuel was a Nazarite. And there were many that were used um, throughout the Old Testament times. But, um, yeah, I, uh, and it goes on to say, he will go before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So he had a unique calling on his life, but I don't believe that it was something that he alone uh, gets to carry. Because this thing, the spirit and power of Elijah, do you remember the story of Elisha and Elijah? Elijah got caught up and got to go to heaven in a chariot of fire. And Elisha, his his uh, he, Elijah was the mentor. He was the mentee. He wanted a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And guess what? He got to have it. And you see there's twice the amount of miracles in Elisha's life than there were in Elijah's life. And he parted the waters. He raised the dead. He did all these things. Now, what's interesting is that Eli- uh, John the Baptist never moved in any of those kind of miracles that we read about in the book of 1 Kings. He called fire down from heaven. He parted a river and walked through it. I mean, the guy had some chops with the Lord. Like, he moved in supernatural power. And John, when he comes on the scene, we don't have a single recorded miracle that he did, except the greatest miracle of all. It's one thing to raise the dead. It's another thing to walk on water. It's another thing to call fire down from heaven. But if you can influence a human heart, to turn to the Lord, that's pretty miraculous. And, you know, none of us can take credit for that. But if we give ourselves over to what the Spirit wants to do in our lives, He will do that through us. And this is a quote here at the end. It's kind of a paraphrase with a new translation. At the end of the Old Testament, in the book of Malachi, God says, Before the great and terrible day of the Lord, I'm going to send the prophet Elijah. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the children to the fathers, lest they strike the earth with a curse. So he interprets here that this angel interprets that it's not just physical sons to physical fathers 
that are blood. God's raising up people who operate in the spirit and power of Elijah. Elisha got twice the, the amount that Elijah got. He's raising up ones who are going to be voices in the wilderness. And you say, well, wait, wait, wait. That's Isaiah 40. That's a unique dynamic that John the Baptist had because he was the voice of one crying in the wilderness, just like Isaiah 40 said. But if you read the context of Isaiah 40, John is a partial fulfillment of that voice crying in the wilderness. Because it goes on to say that the, the, every valley will be raised up, every mountain will be laid low, every rough place will be made smooth. And it says the glory of the Lord will be displayed and all flesh will see it. All people will see the glory of the Lord. So I believe that there is a John the Baptist, a spirit and power of Elijah type thing that's available to us if we would lay hold of it. I don't think everyone's going to be a voice in the wilderness, but John, he, he said this thing uh, in John 3. He said, the friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him. He, de he described himself as like the best man at the wedding. And he said, that, that friend is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. So I must decrease. He must increase. Anybody ever seen the show The Office? So um, Michael, the like horribly incompetent boss that just makes you cringe half the time at the things he does. Um, there's an episode where he shows up at a wedding and he is so convinced that it's all about him that he's like trying to get everyone's attention. And it's just so embarrassing because it's the bride and bridegroom's big day and it's all about them. And, and you don't show up to a, a, a wedding and think that you're going to draw attention to yourself. He had this heart. It wasn't about him. He had to shrink into the background because now the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world has arrived on this stage and he must decrease and he must increase. But he had cultivated this listening ear to hear the voice of the lover of his soul. And therefore, he was a voice to his generation because he had trained himself to hear a voice. And he had confidence in that. It's not just every little thought that comes through your head. It's when it lines up with the word of God. It's when it's confirmed by two or three witnesses. When you know your, your God and, and you have intimacy with him, you know that you know that you know that he's spoken to you based on what he has been calling you into. He, he knew that voice and he was a voice. And so I think the Lord wants to summon people. There's a calling in this generation. I think we're getting closer and closer to the return of the Lord. I don't, heaven's not asking my opinion, but it's getting darker, right? And I've been watching the, the signs of the times and things are kind of accelerating and things are kind of speeding up. And some generation is going to get to be alive when that happens. And in every generation, there's darkness and there's a call to intimacy. There's a call to know our God as a bridegroom. And when we hear his voice, we can be a voice of impact to a generation. Okay, so uh, just on that note, I want to share a couple of testimonies. So this week we were practicing hearing God's voice. And during one of these exercises, um, uh, we, we waited for about five, ten minutes. It was awkward. And, uh, and then we asked the students if they had heard anything. And my son, he said, I thought I heard Psalm 34, verse 5. He didn't know what Psalm 34, verse 5 was. So I pulled out my phone, and I looked it up. And it said, I sought the Lord, and he answered me. 
Wait, that's verse four. That was the theme verse for the whole week. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. And then it says, those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. Now, what's interesting about that verse is that I had just told you that I was like, Lord, what am I going to preach on? I saw a lamp and I started meditating on lamps. And I started thinking about that verse that those who look to the Lord, their faces are radiant. They're never put to shame. And just as I'm having that thought, and I invited the students to share what they were hearing, he quotes that very verse. He didn't know it was that verse. And I'm like, wow, he's hearing from Jesus. And that's what led me to do this um, message today. So then we do another exercise. And I do this thing where um, I have... Uh, people who are trying to hear the voice of God close their eyes, put out their palms, and I put a penny in somebody's hand. We didn't have a penny, so we had a little stuffed strawberry. It was, it was cute. Anyway, so um, we explained the drill is that we're going to place this object in somebody's hands, then they're going to put it in their pocket, and they're, so that we don't know who we're speaking these words of encouragement, comfort, and strengthen, according to 1 Corinthians 14.3. That's, um, that's what it means to prophesy. And it's got to be motivated by love, chapter 13. Can't contradict the Bible. And so we're just going to see what happens when we ask the Lord for revelation about how he wants to communicate the heart of the Father to the ones in the room. And so the point of the eyes closed, the one person getting it, and then um, we're all going to speak these words out, is that we don't know who we're speaking this over, unless they cheated and a couple kids did. But we don't know who we're going to speak this over. So it's just simply relying on a spirit-to-spirit -spirit exchange. It might come in a picture. It might come in a phrase. It might come in a, a verse that comes to the mind. And so um, all these different people were saying words like, oh, I, I see this person is joyful. I see this person, um, I hear the word joy. Oh, I hear kind. I hear loving. I hear um, steadfast. And I knew the person I had given it to fits this description pretty well. And, uh, and then my son goes, oh, I'm here in Psalm 35, verse 9. So I was like, okay, what's that? I pull it out, I look it up, and there it is. My soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. So he didn't, he didn't know what that verse was going to be. It went along with the joy words. And then um, turns out that the person who received it was Isley, here in our midst, right here. And she tells us that her name means cheerful, cheerful one. And I just thought that was cool that, you know, like we all were kind of tapping into what the spirit wanted to say to this one kiddo of his. And guys, these are kind of things that we can do in our small groups. We can do in our families, in our homes. We can practice hearing God's voice. But you got to get saturated in the word of God so you know you're not going to say something that violates God's word. you got to have the heart to love and bless and build up people. Um, and there is a time and a place to call out someone's sin and correction and, and uh, rebuke and all that jazz. But I don't believe when we're just trying to do simple 1 Corinthians 14.3 and build each other up, that that's the time to do that. Okay, so that was kind of fun. Um, <coughs> John, he says in Luke 3.16, I baptize you with water. But one who's more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So John was doing this baptism thing in the water. And if you've never been baptized, um, Jesus himself got baptized by John. And John was like, dude, 
I, this is not right. And Jesus said, this must be done to fulfill all righteousness, which is a beguiling phrase. Jesus didn't have to repent of anything. But John, but Jesus, he, he set the example for us. He was, he showed us what it was to be fully human and fully dependent on the Holy Spirit. And he knew that we all needed cleansing of our, our past and to come up out of those waters fresh and clean and identify with the resurrection of Jesus. And that's what that whole thing was all about. But he, he was doing this baptism thing, but he goes, guys, there's one coming who's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's going to immerse you in the Spirit. He's going to fill you to overflowing with the Spirit of God. And I do believe that there are, you know, there, people can have um, subsequent experiences after being born again. Every believer has the Holy Spirit. But it, it says, uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit in Ephesians 5. And that, um, that verb is in the present tense continuous. So it means keep on, keep on, keep it on being filled. Because why? Because we're leaky vessels. And so there's always more of the Spirit to be filled with. And he said this, I will baptize them with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, what is going on there? Sometimes the Holy Spirit is revealed as tongues of fire. Jesus is an all-consuming fire. I think there's both positive and, you know, judgment connotations to the fire. But uh, he wants to give us a baptism of love that is like fire in our hearts. He wants to burn out the dross of unbelief, of compromise. He wants to burn away everything. He wants to purify us so that we can experience the fullness of his joy, the fullness of his love. And um, in the book, how are we doing here? Here we go. Are we still, still not moving along? Hi. Um, <laughs> I lost my control. Um, I'm out of control, folks. Okay, we'll just try this again. Oh, there it goes. Oh, no. Did I ruin it? Now we're like way back at the beginning. Okay. Thank you for your patience. Okay. Well, it's there. Um, so in the book of Song of Songs, there's this interesting phrase that says, Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Now, I want to tell a little story about one of my favorite spiritual teachers in the body of Christ. He's a man named Mike Bickle. He's the founder and leader of the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, where I was privileged and blessed to be on staff for four years. And he tells this story. He, he has a whole teaching on the book of Song of Songs. Some of you maybe went to youth group and your leader, uh, what? Okay. Um, some, of, some, of the, um, some of you went to youth group and your leader didn't know how to keep your attention. So he read Song of Songs because <laughs> it's just like, what is going on with this book? And you can't believe this is in the Bible, right? Well, um, for uh, 3,000, for 100 years, the, the book has primarily been a celebration of marital intimacy and all that. But um, for 3,000 years, Jewish rabbis and Christian theologians have seen it as an allegory for the dynamic burning affections that our bridegroom God has for us, his beloved. And so it's one of the most commentated books in all of history um, is the Song of Songs. So Mike is this kind of, son of a boxer, kind of a rough dude, um, and he's a pastor now. And he has this wedding card sitting on his desk that says this verse. 
And suddenly he has a moment with the Lord where he starts weeping tenderly over the verse. And he's sort of given wisdom on how to interpret this. And he, he says, Jesus, place um, Jesus, as if Jesus is speaking, saying, place me as a seal on your heart. So he's like, Jesus, set your seal of love like a burning fire on my heart. And he's just experiencing the presence of the Lord. He's weeping. And he calls his secretary or administrator and says, hey, um, don't let anybody call through or knock on my door because I'm having kind of a tender moment with the Lord and this doesn't always happen. So she's like, oh yeah, sure thing. So then about two minutes later, the phone rings in his office and he's thinking, I told her not to let anything through. And this, uh, the, 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 the secretary says, I know, I know. Told me not to let anybody through. Um, but this prophetic man, Bob Jones, who had a track record of some pretty powerfully confirmed words uh, for what God wanted to do through this house of prayer movement, uh, he, he claims that he heard the audible voice of God for you, and he's only got a minute left before he has to go somewhere, so I thought I should let it through. <laughs> and so Mike was like, yeah, yeah, okay, always let the audible voice of God through. And Bob says, Mike, I just heard the audible voice of God. I have somebody waiting in my driveway about to take me to the airport, so I, I only have about a minute left. But God spoke, and he said, Song of Songs, chapter 8, verse 6, is the anointing that you will walk in and the body of Christ will walk in worldwide before the Lord returns. I don't even know if there's eight chapters in Song of Songs. I'm just telling you what I heard. Gotta go. Bye. And Mike's going, unbelievable. I am literally like having a tender encounter over that very verse. This guy calls me, claims to hear the audible voice of God. Probably happened, right? And he's like, wow, I have a mandate from heaven. I get to teach a Bible book all my days. This is so exciting. And then he goes, maybe I should read that book because he had never really studied it. So he flips it open and he gets utterly depressed because it's all body parts and fragrances and, you know, it's all poetry. And what is this? He's like, give it to the women's ministry. I don't know what to do with this book, you know? And, and then he goes on a t about a 10-year journey of studying out all the different commentaries from guys like Bernard of Clairvaux and uh, Madame Guyon and Teresa of Avila and all these different ones that have written about this book and, and theologians of every stripe um, through the ages. And he has this teaching to unpack this book that's really profound, and I encourage you to check it out if you ever want to at mikedickel.org or IHOPKC. I'm not here to, you know, be an advertisement for them. I just think, hey, when I find really good resources, I want to encourage you to grab a hold of things that will help equip you. So um, this, this idea of burning and shining is very relevant to this verse. And it's interesting, the verse right before it, I believe, is a picture of the bride in maturity. So there's this storyline of the bride and how she's just undone by the love of her bridegroom, and yet... Uh, she kind of like is a little bit turned off by the edgy adventure he's trying to invite her on. And so she declines and then she can't feel his presence. And then she searches for him and all these things happen. But by the end of the book, she's like fully his. She's fully surrendered. Whatever her bridegroom says, she's going to do it. And it shows her coming up out of the wilderness, leaning on her beloved. That's verse five. Now verse six is uh, Jesus saying, set me like a seal on your heart. And so I believe God wants to bring you through the wilderness seasons of your life. And sometimes he allows them in our life so that we have all the props kicked out of our lives. And we have nothing of our own strength to lean on. 
You know, some of us are leaning on our charisma. Some of us are leaning on our, our career. Some of us are leaning on our bank account. Some of us are leaning on our gifts and talents. Some of us are leaning on our connections. But God will sometimes allow a wilderness season so that we get to a place where we have nowhere to go but up. And when we get that posture of leaning on our beloved and knowing that he's our beloved, you know, like we don't just run from him in the midst of our screw-ups. We run to him because we know he's so merciful. And every day we get to sign up again. His mercies are new every morning. You get to repent and believe every day. You get to, you know, push delete on the things you did in the past and lean on him. And sometimes fasting is something that will, uh, God, you know, if, you, if you're really desperate for his voice and his presence, you might throw a little bit of fasting in your prayer life just to get that fiery burning heart. Uh, the Lord's taken me on a journey in seasons where he's uh, invited me into seasons of fasting. And there's times where it has been glorious. And there's times where it has been horrible. And frankly, guys, I am terrible at this discipline. But um, I remember a time when I was on uh, leaving the staff at the Light of the World Prayer Center to go on staff at North County Christ the King a few years back. And the staff of the prayer center came over to pray for me in my new position. And um, this guy, uh, Jason Hubbard, who founded the, the prayer center, he had this word repeated three times that he couldn't, didn't know what it meant, but he kept hearing it. It was flashpoint, flashpoint. And, uh, and someone goes, oh, a flashpoint's a, a flashpoint is a uh, chemistry phrase that describes the temperature at which something's about to combust into flames. I was like, oh, cool, Lord, make me a flashpoint of wildfires or revival. Well, the next day, I have an email from this guy named Lou Engel who talks a lot about the John the Baptist power and spirit of Elijah calling. And he's been filling stadiums for 20 years, uh, calling people to pray and fast in the spirit of Joel chapter 2 to see God come and bring his presence. And um, there was a little email about the next call event in 2014 in Berkeley. And this little promo video in there, the whole thing hinged on this phrase, flashpoint. And it was like this, in every revolution, spiritual or political, good or bad, long after the dates and the dust is settled, we can look back and see a massive flashpoint for massive change. And uh, they were looking at the student riots that broke out in Berkeley in the 70s or 60s as a flashpoint of the rebellion that swept this generation for the last 50 years. But on the 50th anniversary, they were believing for a closing of that door and an opening of a, you know, a, a flashpoint for revival. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to go to that. I had never heard of this word. I get this word yesterday. Now I got an in email inviting me to this thing. And so I um, rallied a crew of 12 people and we did a road trip to go experience the call Berkeley. And um, it was like uh, most of these events. Uh, I tried to do a little extended fasting. I think I fasted for a week. Uh, got there. It was clear that Lou Engel and his cohorts were on the 40-day. They looked like, you know, Auschwitz survivors. And, um, and we had the whole day, and it was 12 hours, and this is about the fifth or sixth event like this I had gone to. And guys, I'm a little bit, I live in a spiritual fantasy land of like a future coming glory revival, a third great awakening that's going to outshine every revival the earth has ever seen. And so I keep showing up to these things hoping that this is the one where it's all going to be poured, the spirit's going to be poured out in a fresh way. And um, 
You know, they're always great, and by faith, I believe that something happens in the spirit realm, but so far, it hasn't been, it has never lived up to the spiritual fantasy I have in my mind. So I walk away, like, thinking, Lord, I don't know if I can do another one of these call fasting, prayer fasting stadium gatherings again. And about a year later, Jason Hubbard texts me. He's like, hey, have you ever heard of the Jesus Fast by, by Lou Engel? And I'm like, um, no, should I? He's like, yeah, and chapter two is for you. And so I get the book on Amazon. Chapter two says the flashpoint for global revival. And so I'm like, ooh, this is going to be good. And I get there, and I start reading, and the co-author, Dean Briggs, says, Lou, if you had an audience of 10,000 people, and you knew that by rightly articulating the oracle of the Lord, that your words would become a flashpoint for global revival, what would you say? And Lou just gets full of faith and tears in his eyes by the very question being asked, and he knows his answer immediately, and he goes, I would call the planet to a 40-day fast. He goes, I would call the body of Christ worldwide to extended seasons of prayer and fasting. And if they do this, I'm convinced that global harvest would break out. And, and he goes, Why, how could I say such a daring, audacious thing? He goes, by the irrefutable testimony of Scripture and the undeniable witness of history. And so the whole book is unpacking these movements of extended fasting and the impact that it had um, when revivals and um, power of God broke out. And so my heart sunk because I'm like, darn it. <laughs> if I want to be a flashpoint for revival, I got to get myself to a 40-day fast. And I've been trying for the last eight years, and I have failed every single time, and I have not done it. And I don't think the Lord is sitting there condemning me. And it's not about achieving anything and finishing something heroic and barbaric like a 40-day fast. But it's like John the Baptist came up after eating a fasted lifestyle of locusts and honey for like however long he was in the wilderness before he came out and the spirit was on him. Um, and, and it's like the bride leaning on her beloved in, in Song of Songs 5, 8, 5. Um, there is this fasted lifestyle God is going to invite us into if we want to be used by God. Um, I've lost the controls and I'm, I'll try it again. You got it? Next slide. Wow, are we almost done? Um, so Jesus it says in John that he was a light shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Next slide. Um, Jesus, he, he said, I am the light of the world. Uh, anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And it's interesting in John 8, uh, some scholars believe that the story of the adulterous woman, uh, that, she, um, that that story is actually or it's not in the earliest manuscripts. And so if you read the passage right up before it, the Pharisees are going, hey, a prophet never comes out of Galilee. Look into it. And then Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. And it's just an interesting flow. I think John knew what he was doing when he put these passages together. Because in Isaiah chapter 9, it talks about, uh, in the past, uh, I humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Natali. But in the future, I'll honor Galilee. The, the people walking in darkness will see a great light. And so Jesus was the light of the world. But next slide. Um, but, and, we, and we see that the, he's the chandelier of heaven. He's the lamp of heaven in the age to come. Next slide. Um, but you know what else? We will shine also. It says in uh, Daniel 12, 3, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens. 
Uh, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. That will be literal, folks. That will be literal. We will actually be shiny creatures. <laughs> and and, it, and that, that call to turn the hearts of the disobedient to the wisdom of the just is kind of highlighted there in Daniel chapter 12. And it's all in this end of the age context. When we go out and we uh, strike up conversations with people who don't know Jesus and we just love them well and we just listen well and we pray for them and we serve them and we take them out for a meal. It's, it's a way that we show the love of Jesus and it's gonna soften hearts. We've been doing this on Wednesday nights. There's a couple, there's a guy I've been meeting with every week for coffee. He's got some big hairy questions, but he, he likes what he senses in me and he's still meeting with me. There's some others that are meeting with another elderly woman who is just at the end of her rope, but she sensed some real love on these people. And so they're drawn. And if that kind of thing, like, you're like, I don't know anybody that doesn't know Jesus, you could join us on Wednesday nights. You could join us um, in, in the fall when we launch this Alpha course, uh, where we're going to introduce people to Christianity through a meal and a, uh, a video about Jesus and a discussion that's really safe and, and awesome. Next slide. So there, there's different kinds of glory that we're all going to have. I could take time to unpack that. Jeremy talked last week about, um, and, and I believe that this is actually God saying this. For Zion's sake, I will not hold my peace. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a lamp that burns. We know from Hebrews 7.25 that Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us that we might be saved to the uttermost. And God cares about all people. When, when, um, when the Jews come to Jesus in full, it's going to be like life from the dead. The, the mission to the Gentile church uh, is to provoke Israel to jealousy, and there's coming a day when the whole nation of Israel, after the time of their shaking and trouble, will um, be the thing that God imagined her to be for all eternity. And the same is true with you. He will be faithful to bring to completion the good work he began in you. God is relent, is, he, he won't relent. He's, he's just going after fullness and surrender and, and wowing our hearts with his goodness and his kindness so that we burn for him. Next slide. Next slide. When the disciples were on the road to Emmaus, they thought their hopes were lost. Jesus starts unpacking the scriptures to them and they experience their heart burning. And they go, did not our hearts burn when we walked with him on the way and he opened up the scriptures to us? If you're wondering how to get a burning heart, sit before the book that was written with you in mind. It's a love letter to you. Next slide. It says that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet. So when he begins to lead you, he leads you into the light and then you begin to shine. And people want to know this God you, you serve. I heard the story of a guy who uh, preached with a megaphone on the corner every week and nobody was getting saved. And this one time, this stoner looking guy was just couldn't leave him. And he was like, hey, I've noticed that you're very attracted to what I'm doing here or something. I've got your attention. Would you like to know Jesus? He's like, oh, no, man. I just noticed that your Bible has really thin pages, and I thought maybe those would make good papers for rolling joints. 
And this preacher had a, had a little download of wisdom. Just give it to him. He says, okay, but here's the deal. You got to read every page before you smoke it. So a year later, this very clean-cut man shows up, and he's like, hey, I just want to thank you for sharing uh, what you did. A year ago, you changed my life. He's like, I never met you in my life. He's like, no, I was that disheveled guy. You gave a Bible to use for rolling papers. He goes, yeah, I smoked all the way through Matthew. I smoked all the way through Mark. I smoked all the way through Luke. And I got about halfway through John, and then John smoked me. When you come with an open heart and a dialogue with the Lord and let the scriptures speak to your circumstances, it will cause your heart to burn. Next slide. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, but then he said, Tag, you're it. You're the light of the world. He said, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Guys, when we love people, when we, the, one of the greatest deeds you can do is share the hope you have. Um, next slide. Uh, Isaiah 60 talks about a deep darkness being over the whole earth, but God's calling us to arise and shine, and nations are going to come to our light and kings to the brightness of our dawn. Next slide. Jesus tells a parable of ten virgins, five who were wise, five who were foolish. The wise kept oil in their lamps, but the foolish ones didn't keep enough oil, so their lamps went out in the critical moment. And there's coming a midnight cry, behold, the bridegroom comes. And if we get distracted by all the darkness that Isaiah 60 referenced, we'll miss it. But if we go and get oil, the oil of intimacy and the oil of the Holy Spirit, I believe it speaks of the oil of intimacy because he said to the foolish ones, away from me, I never knew you. And so I want to ask the question, do you know him today? He, he, he called uh, the ones uh, at the end of the Sermon on the Mount the same thing. He said, I, I don't know you, you workers of iniquity. And so God wants us not just to have spirit encounters and miracles and cool testimonies of exploits we've done. He wants us to have a vibrant, ongoing, living relationship. And when you burn before him in prayer, both corporately and individually, you will shine. When you love him with all your heart and you get grounded and rooted in his love, you will shine before others. Go ahead, next slide. Our God is a consuming fire. You know, in Daniel 7, it describes the thrones on fire. There's a stream of fire coming out of it. In Ezekiel 1, it describes there's a guy on the throne who's from the waist up, like glowing metal as of fire. And then from the waist down, he's, he's fire. I don't know why it says it that way, but he was just on fire. And the seraphim are called the burning ones. That's what seraphim means. He, he is a consuming fire. He wants to burn out the dross. And it happens as we sit before him. It takes time to sit before him in prayer and say, God, search my heart. See if there's any wicked thing in me. Would you root it out? Would you convict me? Go ahead, next slide. This is my last slide. <laughs> and we're, we're done. I'm, my mind, 10 minutes early, so hallelujah. Um, John Wesley, he said, if I had 300 men who feared nothing but God, hated nothing but sin, 
and were determined to know nothing among men but Jesus Christ and him crucified, I would set the world on fire with them. God wants to take each one of us to not fear what others are going to think when we step out of our comfort zone to talk to somebody about Jesus or invite them to church. God wants us to not fear the reproach of others when we identify with Jesus. And he wants us to hate nothing but sin. And so we're to be the most loving creatures on the planet. I don't know, you got, the bar's pretty high. I got a new dog, and he is very excited about me every time I walk in the room. So I, uh, you know, I have the bar set now to be as excited about everybody I come in contact with as, as much as my dog is, okay? But guys, it's okay to hate sin. It's okay to hate that stuff. And if you're struggling with an area, it's okay. Just press delete, renounce it, say, I don't want that. I see how it quenches my joy. I see how it separates me from your presence, and I want to be a burning and shining lamp. And, and, and that's where knowing Christ and him crucified comes in. If you meditate on that before the temptation, you might just have power to resist the temptation. But if you blow it and you meditate on that, guys, it'll keep you in the game. And it's by the blood of the lamb that we overcome. And um, so I just want to close in prayer. Thanks for listening to my ramble. Jesus, you are the light of the world. And you said, tag, we're it. We're the light of the world. God, we don't want to be have our light dampened. We don't want to hide our light under a bushel or whatever that is. <laughs> we want to put it on a stand. We want the whole room to see. We want the whole world to see that you're coming back and that you're worth it. You're worthy of our affections. You're worthy of time in the morning with you and saying no to the podcast or saying no to the whatever and just sitting before you, maybe with worship music on, maybe with the Bible open, and just having a dialogue. Lord, we want to be those who could say like John, I've heard the bridegroom's voice, and my joy is complete. Make us burning and shining lamps, and show us those ones that need to hear the hope of Jesus. Show us those ones in our everyday lives, and help us to be intentional even, Lord, to just say, God, what do you want to do today? Who do you want to love through me? like Jason's dog. <laughs> so God, send your fire on our hearts. Afresh, we pray. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.